worship you, praise you. Glad to be in the church today. I was glad to be in church this morning. If you grab a seat today, and we're so glad to be in the house of the Lord together. Now, how long would you be willing to wait for something good? How long? I was reading today that if people have a one-second wait for a website to load, they get agitated. And a four-second wait, they'll change the web page and just go somewhere else. I, I read that. Isn't that amazing? Four seconds will make people change their mind about what they're willing to wait for. Well, this week, uh, this summer, I had the privilege of being away uh, with my family, and uh, we actually went to Hawaii. That just sounds like a long time ago, doesn't it? The start of uh, August seems so long ago. My first time there. Anyone ever been to Hawaii? It's a great place to be. I love it there. And uh, they have this blend of coffee in Hawaii called Kona beans, right? You know, everyone had Kona coffee. And uh, well, we were at this hotel, and there was a, a, a um, uh, coffee shop. I don't know why that is. <laughs> it took a long time to come to my mind. A coffee shop across from our hotel called Co Kona Coffee Purveyors. That was the name of the place. It sounded pretty nice, didn't it? Well, what I noticed at this hotel, or at this coffee shop uh, across from my hotel, is that every morning there was a massive lineup of people waiting to get into Kona Coffee Purveyors. Anyone ever been to Kona Coffee Purveyors in Oahu? Not anybody? Nobody? Okay. Well, if you ever find your way there, there's a massive lineup. And so, I don't know about you, I know that I'm a little different than some of you. I'm learning that some of us are wired a little differently. How, how many are introverts? Any introverts? I don't think I've ever met so many introverts until I moved to Penticton. Uh, like, I'm being honest right now. My wife and I, we, just, we have so many people that say, I'm introverted. I just like the quiet life. And maybe that's why you're here, because you're trying to get away from the city, maybe. I don't know. But, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm a sucker for crowds. If there's a crowd, I want to know what's going on, right? If there's a crowd, there's a buzz. And if there's a buzz, there must be something worth going to see, right? And so I saw this line of coffee uh, uh, people, uh, and they were lined up uh, for this long line. And so, you know, I looked around. There was a lot of other options. There was a Starbucks. There was McDonald's coffee. There was, uh, you know, a different coffee shop. But this long line was long. And so I thought to myself, how many would you be like, well, we're not going there, right? That would be like your thought. Right? My thought is, well, we better get in line and find out what this is all about. And so we got in line for coffee. And so I didn't realize as the line was long, but the line was also slow. And so we got in line, and it was a Sunday morning. And I don't know about you, but when I'm, I love church. I, when I'm on vacation, I like to go to church. If I could go to other, how many like to go to, I like to go to church when I'm not doing anything, right? And so I sometimes go, like I love doing things at church, but I like to be involved, but I like to go to other churches and see what God's doing in other places. And so we were going to go to church, and we thought, let's get a coffee before we go to church. We got an hour uh, before we, church starts, so that should be long enough. So we got in this long line, and then, you know, after a little while, you start looking at your watch, and you're thinking, man, I don't know if we're going to make it. Like, like, we got lots of, we got 45 minutes to get to church, so that should be good, right? Then you're like, kind of looking, like, we haven't moved very far. You know, we got half an hour, we should be good, right? 15 minutes, you know, we got like 10 minutes to get to church, and by this point, like, church is 15 minutes away, you know? And, uh, and so I, I, I hate to like, confess to you, I was late for church, 
And, and this actually made me really sad. I missed all the worship. I got to church just in time for this sermon, like some of you guys. So <laughs> like, and I, and I miss all that. But here's the thing. At some point, you've been in line for so long that you're like, well, we can't leave now. Like, we waited this long. We need to figure. And let me tell you, we got there, and we got our coffee, and it was so worth it. Now, I talked to that man this morning. He said, I've never tasted coffee a day in my life. And I'm like, I don't trust people who drink, don't drink coffee. Uh, I'm just saying. But, uh, but it was so good. What would you, wait, what would you uh, wait in line for? You know, well, I'll tell you, at the end of our trip came, and we thought, you know what? That coffee was so good. We should do it again. <laughs> and so we got in line again. But this time we knew what we were in for. We knew it was going to be long. We knew it was going to be about an hour wait to get our coffee. And, and part of it is because they had some like, pastries as well. That, that was another side benefit of it. That was taking so long. Uh, but we were at the back of the line and we saw some other people kind of come up. And they were new. They were like, what's going on? What's this line for? This line looks really long. You know, what, what, they surely it can't be this good. And we were in the back of the line going, it's worth the wait, right? It's worth the, turn to your neighbor and tell them, what would you wait an hour in line for? Turn to your neighbor right now and tell them, what food item would you be willing to wait an hour in line for? Maybe it's a good burger like Pastor Ralph. You know, maybe it's coffee. Did you know that about Ralph? He's a burger guy, Right? Here's the thing, a recent survey estimated that people spend 20 minutes a day waiting in line for something. On average, 20 minutes a day spent waiting in line for something. Uh, if you were to average that out, that equals 20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. That's five whole days a year waiting in line for something. Can you imagine, just like five days waiting for something. Well, if you were to take that over your lifetime, that would be over one whole year of your life. 13 months you would spend, if you lived to be 80, you'd be spend waiting in a line. So the next time you're spending an hour uh, you know, waiting for coffee, and, and it was, we were on vacation, so we had lots of time, right? We had nowhere to be, right? But next time you're waiting in line, just thinking, you know, you're just rocking up, you know, up to your 13 months of waiting uh, in your lifetime. That's amazing. Uh, they estimate that people who uh, live in cities uh, wait nine minutes a day at the traffic light. You know, so that's uh, 182 days of your life spent at the traffic light. Uh, they estimate that the average wait time to see a doctor is 32 minutes. Uh, that seems a little on the low side to me, but this is why I always wondered, what's the point of an appointment if you have to wait 32 minutes, Right. I just, I don't know. It's like the doctor's office is the only place where you can like have an appointment that doesn't really matter. I don't know. Uh, then the amount of time that you spend waiting for your wife who just needs to run in and get milk. <laughs> I don't know what that number is. I don't know. It's just astronomical, right? I just have to get milk. Well, why do you have like 10 bags? I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. We do a lot of waiting around, don't we? And like the experience can be somewhere on the scale between annoying and infuriating, right? Somewhere along the line. But, but when it's worth the wait, we'd gladly do it again, wouldn't we? You know, customer service, they're annoying to wait for, and, and food can be hit or miss. You know, you never know. Like, sometimes you follow the crowd, and you're like, I don't get what all the crowd was about. It wasn't worth the wait. There's some things I would not wait in line for. Coffee is one of them, but, but what about when you're waiting on God? 
What about when you're waiting, when you're on the waiting end of prayers, prayers for uh, direction, prayers for guidance, and you're just waiting on God. God, would you speak to me? Would you lead me? Would you give me some sort of direction? Maybe you feel that God has put a dream in your heart or a vision that God wants to fulfill, and you're on the waiting end of seeing it come to pass. What do you do when you're waiting on God? That's the place we find Nehemiah in. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2. And if you're just joining us last week, we kicked off a new sermon series on the book of Nehemiah. And I love this book. You know, this book, the the main theme of this book is God's dealing with Israel, his faithfulness. And God has said to Israel that when you are faithfully serving me, you'll be blessed. But, But when you turn your back on me, you'll be outside of my blessing. And we see that God has allowed uh, Israel to be taken captive. Uh, and, and so we'll talk about that in just a moment. But we see throughout this uh, uh, story a lot of leadership insight, a lot of uh, leadership uh, um, inspiration and, and principles that we can glean from Nehemiah's story. You know, as you look at, at the Bible, I just love Nehemiah. As you, look, as you look at the Bible, you see, you know, obviously, you know, who is the greatest leader ever. You know, we see Jesus, you know, and he shows a lot of leadership of his disciples and a lot of leadership principles and how he started the church. Uh, you might look at the Bible and you see Moses as one of the greatest leaders leading the people of Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land. But, but Nehemiah, he's right up there. As I, I've been rereading this book. I've been just so inspired inspired by his life. And and what I love about Nehemiah is that he's not a pastor. He's not a priest or a prophet. And and he actually doesn't have any official leadership position. Nehemiah is just a guy. He's just a guy. And actually the Bible says he's a king's cup bearer. We talked about that last week. His job is basically just to make sure that before the king gets poisoned and dies, he dies, <laughs> you know. He's like the, the wine taster to make sure the king doesn't get poisoned. That's his job. It's not, not prominent, not like a leadership role by any means. And so he doesn't have this position of prominence, but he's perfectly positioned by God to be used by God. We talked about that last week. Wherever you are, it's always the right time and the right place to be used by God. No matter your position, no matter your authority, uh, it's always the right t- place and the right time to be used by God. So how have you been perfectly positioned this week to be used by God? If you found opportunity where you work, in your family, in your community, how are you positioned to be used by God? Well, we see that, that Nehemiah becomes this incredible leader not because he has a position, but because he has a passion. He has a passion for some, that something needed to be done and someone needed to do it. And here's the thing, instead of waiting for someone else to stand up and fill that gap, Nehemiah gets down on his knees and he says, God, would you give me an opportunity to be used by you? Nehemiah 1.10, where we left off last week, Nehemiah prays, oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it in his heart to be kind to me. We see here that, Nehemiah, in a way, he's praying for a miracle. He's praying, God, would you give me favor? Would you give me blessing? But he's also saying, would you give me an opportunity? He's not just waiting on a miracle. He's saying, God, would you give me the opportunity to be a part of what you want to do? 
So last week we talked about this idea of what motivates us, what gets us fired up, what gets us passionate, uh, what stirs us and compels us, uh, what drives us to our knees to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Maybe we talked about, maybe, maybe you've had compassion for people in need of help. You know, maybe you've gone through some things in your own life that God's led you through and you want to be an inspiration and an encourager to others that, that they can get through those same things. Maybe you've, been, you've gone through some things and, and when you were going through it, you felt like you were going through it alone, that you didn't have the help you needed and so you determined that as much as possible, you want uh, to help other people go through what you went through so they don't have to go through it alone. We talked about this idea that in our hearts there's a sense that somebody needs to do something and it can it be us. Sometimes we look at our circumstances and we think they're too big, too impossible. And we talked about this idea that big things are built one brick at a time, right? We talked about this idea that cities are built brick by brick. Churches are built brick by brick and our lives of faith are built brick by brick. And so this series is about building a life of faith and building a city of hope brick by brick. Would you say that with me? Say it brick by brick. Brick by brick. Brick by brick. So Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, if you're there, let's read together. Early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. And so the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Now, the first thing that we notice as we go from chapter one to chapter two, and I know you don't know, you're not familiar with the month of Nissan. It's not the month of Honda or Toyota. <laughs> I swore I wasn't gonna make that joke. Ah, such a dad. Right? Well, you may not be familiar with the Persian calendar, but really what we see is that four months have gone by between chapter one and chapter two. And we see four months have gone by since Nehemiah felt, uh, felt this burden uh, rising up in his heart that something needed to be done for his people. You know, so here's some say, super quick context in case you missed last week. If you did miss last week, you should go on YouTube, on our YouTube channel, and you can watch it. But we saw last week that the story of Israel had been the story of exile and return. Like I said, God said to the people of Israel, if you walk in my ways, I'll bless you. But if you choose to not follow me, I'll basically give you over to your desires, and then you'll be outside my blessing. And we see that, uh, that uh, Israel, the northern kingdom, was taking captive by the Assyrians, and then later Judah, the southern nation we talked about last week, they were taken captive by Babylon in 600 BC, and then Babylon was taken over and amalgamated into Persia. And so the Jews, they were held in exile for approximately 70 years during this Babylonian captivity, where they were taken from Jerusalem, they were taken to Babylon, but 70 years later, the first remnant, the first exiles were allowed to return to Jerusalem under a man named Zerubbabel, and they began to rebuild the temple, they began to rebuild the city. 
Uh, Ezra would follow them a little bit later. And now it's about 100 years after the first exiles had returned to Jerusalem that Nehemiah gets this news and he's going, hey, how's it going with the rebuilding project, right? It must be, it must be great. You know, you guys must be making so much progress. And he gets this news that the city and its walls are still in shambles and that things are still left undone. And it says that Nehemiah is caused to break down in tears. We see that child when he breaks down in tears. He has this brokenness and a burden that's birthed within him. We see here that he has this burden and the scripture talks about it being because of the city walls being torn down. But really, it was much deeper than that. His brokenness wasn't about the walls. It wasn't about brick and mortar. It was about the people of God living in oppression. It was about the people of God living in fear, the people of God being vulnerable to oppression and attack. It was much different where Israel had formerly been a beacon of God's light to the nations. They were still in this place of brokenness and a broken heart. Nehemiah had a burden for broken people living in fear, vulnerable to oppression and attack. Church, this this week as I was thinking, Bethel Church is not just a building on Main Street, is it? Right? It's not just a building. Bethel Church isn't just even the people who attend Bethel Church, you know, to be in some sort of spiritual country club, right? Right? We don't exist just for the social aspects of being together. We exist because we are a beacon of light and hope to this world. And it starts here in our community and in our city. God wants to do something here in us and through us. He wants us to have a burden for those who are living in fear and who are vulnerable to oppression and attack. That's why we're here. You know, we believe that Jesus is the answer for the lost, the broken, and the hurting. Sometimes we still fit into that category. Often we are still in that category, aren't we? we as a church, we, we can't look at our community and think, well, we're the church and they're the community. It's not like it's we're us and they're them, right? We are all part of the community. There's only one community, and we are a part of that community. We're a subset within the community, but the community is us. It's not us versus them or us and them. It's us all together. Us in the community that God has called us to. And so Nehemiah has this burden for broken and hurting people in his generation. The same way we need to have a burden for the broken and hurting in ours. At least we need to if you want to be like Jesus. Who wants to be like Jesus this morning? Amen. Oh, that might be a trick question. Let me read these two verses to you first, and then you can tell me if you want to be like Jesus, okay? Matthew 9, 36 says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about his kingdom. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. How many know that's a great analogy? for the world we live in today. He had compassion on them. Now let's go to Luke 19, 41. As he, Jesus, came closer to Jerusalem, he saw the city ahead, and he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. Do you want to be like Jesus? I heard one pastor one time, he put it this way. Do you and Jesus cry about the same things? Do you and Jesus cry 
about the same things? When was the last time you looked at the people around you and had that burden that, that drove you to your knees in prayer, that drove tears to your eyes? You know, we've been talking about building lives of faith in the city of hope in this series, but we're not just talking about building our life of faith. Not just about building my life of faith, it's about building lives of faith. I don't want it just to be about myself, I want it to be about us as a community, as a church, and as a broader community that we live in here in the Okanagan, building lives of faith. I want to be about that kind of business. I want to be about building a city of hope, not just for my own comfort and for my own benefit, but for the benefit of the lost, the broken, and the hurting. And the way to do it is brick by brick, right? I'm not going to do it overnight. But brick by brick, we're saying, Jesus, help us to have your heart. Help us to have your vision and your dreams for our community. So it's been about four months that this burden that Nehemiah has had is brewing in his heart. Four months have gone by, and, and, and out of the brokenness that he'd heard about, this burden is birthed. But as these four months go by, it seems like nothing has changed, right? You know, nothing has changed. What's Nehemiah been doing in the meantime? It says that he's been doing what he's always been doing. Like, what's he doing while he's waiting on God? It says that he keeps showing up to work. He keeps showing up faithfully each day. It says that on that day, four months later, I was bringing the king his wine like I always do, like hoping not to die, you know, after I tested it for him. Now, I'm sure there was times where he thought, my job is pointless, Right? He gets his calling in his life, and he's like, like, I don't know how my job contributes to this calling. Right? I remember as a, as a young man, I, I just graduated from Bible college, and so I'd done all my Bible college uh, learning, and I graduated, and now I started interviewing with churches, and, and uh, just wasn't working out. Like nothing, no one would hire me. Can you believe that? I don't know why. <laughs> and so I actually went a whole year without a job, doing what I felt God had called me to do. Like, God, I did all the training. I did everything. Nothing seems to be working out. What is the purpose of this season? And I think God had some other things that he wanted to do in my life. But during this time, I was working at retail. Anyone ever worked retail? I was at the mall, and uh, I worked at the Gap back then. So I was like folding T-shirts and jeans, T-shirts and jeans every day. T-shirts and jeans, helping people look good, helping them find their fit, you know, in T-shirts and jeans. I wanted to help people find their fit in the kingdom of God, but here I am helping them find their fit in T-shirts and jeans, right? And so you can guess, you know, like, God, I'm called by you to pastor. No one's going to hire me. Here I am doing T-shirts and jeans. But you know what I learned in that year? I learned that pastoring is in a position your calling isn't a position. Whatever God's called you to do isn't based on a paycheck or a role. It's a calling. It's a function. And so I learned in that year that I could pastor in my store. I had all kinds of people that are in my store doing retail just like me, college age, high school kids, young moms, you know, working the night shift, all kinds of stuff. I learned that pastoring wasn't a position. It was a calling. And so I could pastor people wherever I was. And in that time, God made the calling clearer. And so for Nehemiah, he doesn't quit his job. He doesn't launch like a, a charity. He doesn't launch like a GoFundMe for this project that he wants to do. It says that he went back to work aware that he was called, but awaiting God's clarity for his calling. This is a pattern we often see in Scripture. You know, for people who don't like to wait four seconds for a website to load, right? So listen to what God's called people to do. David 
as anointed as the next king of Israel as a young man. And then what does he do? He goes back out to the sheep fields. <laughs> He's like, I'm, the, I'm like the king, of, like a parent, or a parent, is that what it is? King, whatever it is. The, the king in waiting, right? And I, here he is out with the sheep. Can you imagine how frustrated he would be, right? Like, I'm the king. I'm out here with the sheep. Bible says that it took about 15 years to 22 years for him to fully step into his calling to be the king of Israel. During that time, he suffered abuse at the hands of Saul. It was not going well for him. But there was a delay in between his calling and the time he stepped into the kingdom. Jesus, we see 30 years before his public ministry begins. Moses, we see 40 years between the time he feels that sense of calling that something needs to be done and by the time God actually releases him uh, to lead the people out of Israel. So Nehemiah, we find him four months. So, you know, Moses, 40 years, Nehemiah, four months. So somewhere in between there, God has this delay. But in this delay, as they waited for their calling to become uh, realized, there was this clarity, this clarification happening. You know, it can be hard to wait when you can see the future in front of you, right? Like sometimes we're like, I can see where God's leading me. I can see a picture of what I think God wants to do. Anyone ever bought your first house, right? And there's a thing called your closing date, right? There's a gap between the day you like, put the offer in and it's accepted and the closing date. And you know what you do in between that gap, right? You drive by like every day or at least once a week, right? You're like the creepy people looking in, like, oh, there's the house, right? We can't wait for the future to become reality. And so Nehemiah, he's praying, he's asking God for this opportunity to make a difference. And then he finds himself waiting. A month goes by, two months goes by. Three months goes by. He's going to work every day, sipping the king's wine, hoping not to die, right? Four months goes by. This week, I had to go pick up Maddie at work, and she was working, and I had to go pick her up, and I had some things to do. And so I just told Holly, you know, I'll go get Maddie, and I'll take my, my laptop with me. I'll, I'll go, and I'll wait for her to finish up, and I'll get some work done while I'm waiting. How many knew I got onto YouTube, <laughs> and I didn't get any work done? Instead, I got distracted while I was waiting. You know, instead of working while I was waiting, I got distracted and, and, and I wasted the wait. Really. I wasted the wait. I thought this morning that God would say, don't waste the wait being distracted. Don't waste the wait. That's what I was trying to say to you a minute ago. We read in 2 Peter. 2 Peter said, let me remind you not to waste the wait. Jesus is coming again, but don't waste the wait. Don't waste the way, don't wait this, waste this in-between uh, season of being distracted and forgetting what it is that you really wanted to accomplish. I remember uh, having a grade nine kid come to me one time and say, you know, Pastor Jared, I just feel called to be a pastor. I want to go to Bible college when I'm done high school. I said, that's amazing, buddy. Don't waste the wait. What I said is you should start now. Start bedroom Bible college. Start like reading your Bible every day, getting into the Bible. Don't wait till Bible college to start your training. Start now, bedroom Bible college, and you'll be well ahead of the game. I told him, you know what you could do to be a great pastor? You could start you know, being on the chair team. You know, in grade nine, start on the chair team. Start moving some chairs around. That will give you a great head, uh, head start on being a pastor one day. You know what else is worse? Uh, you know what else wastes the wait? Discouragement. Have you ever been waiting? The thing about waiting is waiting creates doubt in us, doesn't it? 
you ever been waiting for someone, you've been waiting a long time, you're like, I'm pretty sure this was the right place we were supposed to meet, right? I'm pretty sure this was the, the time and the place we'd agreed on, right? As the longer you wait, the more the doubt creeps in, right? And, and so uh, the more we are waiting, we have this discouragement, discouragement could lead to doubt. I, I think God's called me, I, at least I thought he did. I'm kind of discouraged that I'm not being put in the game like I thought I was going to, right? Maybe he didn't really call. Maybe this wasn't really from God after all, and we give up on the vision and the dream because we had to wait. Now, here's one thing I've to learn as a Christian is that you can't rush God. When we talk about building a life of faith, one of the areas of faith we need to build is learning to trust his timing, learning to trust God's provision and his process. There's a purpose in the process. Whatever it is that God's calling you to wait on, there's always something that we would look back on in the future and see why, why he had us waiting. I told you a minute ago that I had that, that year between um, graduating and, and getting hired to my first church. Well, I look back on that now and I'm like, God, what, what was that whole season about? Well, as I look back on it now, that was a season that God gave me to meet Holly and to date her and to get our relationship, you know, kind of solidified. During that year is when we started to date. We actually got married. And then right after we got engaged, that first church called and said, hey, we want to hire you. And then two weeks after our wedding, we started into ministry together. And I look back, I'm like, I was so frustrated on the year of waiting. When I look back, God's like, I gave you that year for you and your relationship. Is that amazing? Sometimes we don't know in advance what God wants us to know as we look behind us in the waiting. And so Nehemiah doesn't waste the wait. He doesn't get distracted. He doesn't get discouraged. He doesn't start to doubt his calling. He's working while he's waiting. The Bible says that he stayed in prayer, and while he's in prayer, he develops a plan. How many of the great ideas fall every day because of poor planning? Right, there's a, a famous saying, you probably know it, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail, right? And so he develops this plan. And so we've been talking about this idea of a vision. A vision is the difference between what is and what could be. Now, I brought some props today because I just thought, you know, why not props? Props are always good. So, Sorry, this doesn't really work for you on the wings. This is an odd-shaped church, by the way. You know, kind of makes it harder to do props. But what we see, a vision is the difference between what is and what could be, right? Well, I got to make sure I got that right. <laughs> what is and what could be. Like my reality versus my preferred reality, Right? What I see is right now and what I wish could be or what I see is a possibility, right? This is my burden and this is my vision. This is causing me to say there's something more that could be done. I have a burden for what is because I have a vision of what could be. So we have the burden, we have the vision, we have our reality, we have our preferred reality, we have what is, we have what could be. And what takes us from being what is or what, from our burden to our vision in the middle of the bridge is the plan. The plan is what gets us from the burden to the vision. And so Nehemiah has his burden. The people of God are living in shambles. They're, they're not in the position that God's called them to be. They're not rebuilding the city the way that I thought they, they would. And I, I'm just really worried about the broken people of Israel. I have this vision for what God's called them to. How do I get there? In the middle of this, he builds a plan. 
builds a plan. John Gordon, he, he, he talks about this idea of a plan. And he says this, he says, a vision, what could be, what could be what is, a vision without a plan is a fantasy. If I'm over here thinking about what could be, I'm dreaming about it, but I don't have a plan to get there, it's a fantasy, right? Like if I'm over here and I'm drowning in debt and I'm thinking, wow, it would be so great to be debt-free one day. That's a fantasy without a plan, right? If I'm thinking about, well, one day I want to be like, you know, grounded in the word of God and I can see what, what would it look like for me just to live the life that I feel God's called me to, but if I don't have a plan to get there, it's a fantasy, right? How many people live in reality, they're dreaming about a vision, which was really a fantasy because they don't have the bridge to get there. So Nehemiah puts this plan into place. He wasn't waiting to wait. He was working while he was waiting. He was staying in prayer and developing a plan. And so because of that, he's ready when the opportunity presents itself. Nehemiah chapter two, verse four says, one day after four months, just randomly, right? The divine and the daily grind. Nehemiah just like faithfully going to work each day, giving the king his wine, hoping not to die. And one day the king says to him, how can I help you? Ha! How do you know Nehemiah's been waiting for this moment? You know, this isn't something you just approach the king on and be like, hey, king, by the way, you know, I got something I want to talk to you about, right? He's been waiting. God, give me an opportunity. Give me favor. Give me the chance to do something. And one day the chance comes and Nehemiah's not like, uh... Right? He's not just like, uh, well, uh, you know, king, I was just hoping, like, I don't, I don't know, right? King says, how can I help you? And so it's Nehemiah always praying, right? Lord, lead me every moment. He just throws up this quick prayer, God, lead me. And he replies, if it pleases the king and you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. He knows exactly what it is that he wants from the king. He knows exactly what the plan is. Now, John Gordon, a leadership coach, he says this, uh, three things make a good plan. He says, make it simple and clear, guide people through the process, and give people confidence to buy into the plan. And so Nehemiah, he's been dreaming and praying and planning for this moment, and he's not vague or unclear. He knows exactly what it is that he wants to ask of the king. The first thing is this, can I go? Can I go? Verse 6. Can I go? And it says that the king with the queen sitting beside him asks, how long will you be gone? Nehemiah has a plan. When will you return? And after I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. He was clear about his request. Now, verse 2 says that Nehemiah kind of goes a step further. Uh, or, or, or verse 7, I mean. Uh, he says, not only can I go, but he's like, can I get some letters of support? <laughs> Verse 7, I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. So he says, can I go? Can I have some letters of support? And then, <laughs> this is the boldest move of all. <laughs> he says, and, uh, by the way, can you pay for it? Verse 8, 
Please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I'll need it to make the beams of the gates of the temple fortress for the city walls and a house for myself. He's bold. Can I go? Can I get letters of support? And can you pay for it? He must have had a really great relationship with the king. But listen, he's been praying. He's been asking for an opportunity. He's been praying that God would grant them favor. Listen to what the Bible says. And the king granted his request because the gracious hand of God was on me. And then just for a bonus, Nehemiah, he prayed for favor. Says, well, you know what? The king is like, you know what? I might as well send some security with you too. You're going to need it. And so we see that in verse 9. When I came to the governors of the provinces west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. And the king, I should ask, uh, should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. How many know that favor isn't fair, right? Favor, the favor of God, when you are walking in the favor of God, it just shows up in all kinds of surprising ways. I've seen the favor of God, I've seen like, like thousands of pounds of chocolate Easter eggs come to the church because just the favor of God. I, I, I shared with you last week, you know, like the dollar store, like, hey, we have some like cookie mix. Can you just take it and do something with it, right? It's just coming to us when we walk in blessing, we walk trying to steward what God's given us, the favor of God rests on us. The blessing of God rests on us. And, and so we just see things coming our way that we or even beyond what we asked and prayed for. That he needed it because verse 10 says, Then Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival, and they were displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. You know, as I've been deep in this book, I've been looking at Nehemiah's burden for what was and his vision for what could be. It's been making me ask myself personally and as the leader of our church, you know, in community with other people saying, what is it that I want? What is it that you want? What is it that we want? Nehemiah's answer is simple and clear. He says, let me go to the city and rebuild it. You know, we could pray for revival, but what does that mean? What does that look like? What do we really want to see happen in our church and through our church and in our lives and in our family? Nehemiah said, let me go to the city and rebuild it. I believe that God's stirring something in our church for this season to say, let us go to our city and rebuild it. How do we do that? Brick by brick. Nehemiah, as we'll see in weeks to come, it wasn't just as simple as like, hey, I showed up and built the wall. Right? There are a lot of other bricks that had to be put into place in order for him to accomplish the vision and the dream that he had set out to do. But what is it that you want? What is the vision that God's given you for your life? What, what, what is the vision? Where are you now? And what's the vision for your life? How are you going to get there? One of the things I want is I want to be grounded in the word of God. I want to be more, you know, into the word of God. I want this vision, so I need a plan how to get there. My, one of my simple plans is this. I just have a little rule in my life. I don't follow it as strictly as I want to. I've been trying to really work this plan. The plan is no uh, scriptures, a scripture before screens. That's, that's just one of the plans in my life. I want to be more in the word of God, so the plan for me is scripture before screens. Before I get on in the morning, I make a point of saying, I need this plan. For my family, I want my family, I want the, the ceiling of my life to be the floor of my children's life. 
Everything God's done in me, I want them to surpass that. And so I've been saying, what's the plan to get them into the word of God? So I taught them how to do SOAP. SOAP just means scripture, observation, application, prayer. We have a plan for my kids to learn how to read the word of God. You know, it's not just, here's the Bible, read it. It's like, let's do it together. Let's have a plan. What's the plan for our church? My plan for our church is to help people find their fit. Find their fit, find a place to serve. That's the plan, to get people from attending church, being consumers, being contributors, to being owners of the vision. The plan is find your fit. Let's help people get there. Let's develop people in leadership. What's our plan to get our community from where it is? We have a lot of needs in our community. How do we get them to the vision? We're still seeking that out. We're saying, God, brick by brick, teach us. Give us a plan for our community. Here's the thing about the plans of God, that it's a shared burden. Talked about this last week, that Jesus says, my burden is light. Light because he's carrying most of the load, and that we get to share it together. I just want to encourage you this morning with a few things I'm seeing in our church right now about how some people have been given a vision for what could be, a burden for what could be, and how they've developed a plan to get there. I know in our church, Bev Mearns, how many love Bev Mearns? She's so smiley. I love Bev Mearns. If you don't know her yet, you should get to know her. But she had this vision that there's a lot of widows in our church, people who have lost their husbands, like she's gone through. And she says, you know what? I, I want to create a ministry to serve and to help people who have experienced loss of their husband. And so she said, you know what? I don't want it to be in the church. I want it to be outside the church. I want it to be for anyone in our community. And so she started this thing called Solo. Once a week, I mean once a month, Solo gets together. Well, how many of those Solos outgrown her living room? And now she's saying, can we bring it to the church because we need a bigger space, right? Solo is amazing. She had this vision and a plan to see it come to pass. As I came to Bethel, I was thinking, well, what are some of the other things our church needs? How many know there's a lot of grief that people have experienced? A lot of grief, they need some support, you know, throughout the years, a lot of loss. And so one of the things in my mind that we had done at my last church was a great program called Grief Share. And uh, so I was thinking, you know, we really should start Grief Share at some point. And, uh, and so one day I was in my office and Pastor Kirsten came to me and she said, have you ever heard of this thing called Grief Share? I said, yes, I have actually. I've been thinking about that. She goes, oh, I just, I just uh, discovered it. I thought it'd be really great for our church. And I, I think you're right. You know, we'd need someone to lead that. Well, then a lady named Joy Thompson came to me. She goes, hey, pastor, have you ever heard of Grief Share? I said, yes, I know all about Grief Share. She goes, I just discovered Grief Share. She goes, I just feel God calling me to start and lead Grief Share here at Bethel. And so Joy and her team, they put a plan together. They saw what needed to be done. And so this week they launched their first uh, meeting of Grief Share because someone had a dream and a vision. They developed a plan to see it a brick by brick. God's building his church. You know, as I started here a few, uh, almost a year ago, the church board and leadership were like, hey, we really feel that one of the next things we need to do as our church, we, we have great worship, we have great kids ministry, we have great youth ministry. We really want to have more engagement in the community. We really want to have a pastor who has community engagement on their portfolio <laughs> over here. And, uh, and so we started saying, okay, well, what can we do around community engagement? So we began to pray, develop a team. You've heard about the food bank, uh, the food pantry starting up this week. This week, $1,500 worth of food came in uh, to stock those shelves. And isn't that amazing? <laughs> to support those 
who are food insecure. That's amazing. But it goes bigger than that because as we start talking to our community, start developing relationship in our community, we're like, what are one of the biggest things? We have a lot of addiction happening in our community. What can our church do? As we stepped out, Teen Challenge came to us and said, hey, we want to start a program called Stepping into Freedom. And we were wondering if you would be interested in partnering with us. You know, we'll do all the work. You just have to, like, give us a few team members and a space to meet. We're like, amazing. And so they already had their first session last year, and they're starting their second uh, session, I think, this week of Stepping into Freedom. Now they're building on top of that another ministry called Concerned Persons for people who have uh, family members going through addiction. It's just like, once you start the ball rolling, once you start saying, hey, God, I I just want to get, how many know that you can't really steer a parked car, Right? You can't steer, but once you get it in motion, it's easier to steer wherever. And so once we get into motion, we say, God, I'm ready to follow you wherever you're leading. Once I get into motion, God begins to steer us. And we start the food pantry and we start stepping into freedom. Uh, I want to let you know something else that's coming up this Christmas. This is the favor of God. A church from Alberta, from Lethbridge, I think, right? Parallel Church called us just a couple weeks ago. And they said, hey, do you have a community engagement pastor? And I said, yes, we do, Right? And uh, they said, we would love to talk to you because one of our people from our church grew up in Penticton and they have a burden for that area. And what we've been doing uh, over the last number of years is something called Shop of Wonders. Shop of Wonders is just a Christmas program where we create basically a store. It's a beautiful store. It has all kinds of toys uh, that families that wouldn't otherwise be able to go and afford to get the things that they'd like to get for their children for Christmas can come and they can shop for free in our store of wonders, our shop of wonders. And they said, we would love to support you, sponsor you, if you could uh, take that and run with it this year. We'll fund it all. We'll make sure that you have all the support you need. We'll give you some community partners that we've established along the way. And so I just want to let you know that this week we already booked, uh, what's it called? The, uh, the, um, the Stern Saloon. The Stern Saloon is that little thing right beside the Sycamus. It's like a little museum shop. And they've already given it to us for Christmas season so we can have the Shop of Wonders in there. And it's going to be amazing. Once we start going in the favor of God, and we start saying, God, brick by brick, help us to develop a plan to build a community of hope. Would you lead us? Would you guide us? God's favor rests on it. Isn't that amazing? And would you stand and worship? Yeah, come on, let's stand with me this morning. And I just want to close with this. In Hebrews 6.12, the Hebrews were going through a difficult time. They were being persecuted, oppressed. They weren't seeing the vision coming to pass. They they were feeling that they were in this waiting period and they were being oppressed, that they were being um, uh, discriminated against. And this is what the author of Hebrews says. He says, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what's been promised through faith and patience inherit what God's promised we, we started this day saying that we're waiting on something much bigger than what's here today we're awaiting this eternal life that God's promised but, but while we're here let's not waste the wait and, and while we're here let's have dreams and visions for our lives and our families for our church for our community let's not waste the wait Let's say, brick by brick, God, would you give us a vision and a plan to see your kingdom established here in Penticton. Lord, I would just pray for my friends today. I pray, Jesus, that you would bless them. God, I pray that you would stir in our heart this sense of burden. 
God, that you would stir in our heart this sense uh, that you're, you're doing something deeper and bigger than just our lives. That there's a vision. There's a vision for our life, for our business, for our family, for our church, for our community. We begin to stir a plan to how that vision can come to pass, brick by brick. God, we don't want to just be distracted. We don't want to just be discouraged and doubtful. But God, we want to be living in the blessing and the favor that you have for us. You're a faithful God. We can't wait to see what you have in store. It's going to be worth the wait.